Canto 29 of The Purgatory quite literally sets the visionary scene for the climax of the purgatory itself. It is in a way quite a difficult canto to read now because it feels immersed in a medieval world that certainly for northern European Protestants is quite hard to access. You have to think of the most splendid ceremony that you've ever seen where every single person and item in the procession is loaded with meaning. But at the same time combine that I think with the joy of a fiesta, um, with the noise and the colour and the dance and the bright light of more southern European climes. But then maybe add in as well the surprise of going into a holy forest, turning a corner and coming across, you know, maybe a, a sacred spring or a healing well, which is surrounded by candles and memorials and clutes as you see that thousands of people have visited this sacred place before, so that you feel the numinosity of it buzzing in the air as well. The, the mystery, but the presence of life is palpable in every breeze, every leaf, in every flower. Remember, Dante is now in an Eden depicted as a living forest. It's gothic, it soars above him, even as he looks at all the gorgeous foliage, which is self-generating and flowing and outpouring with love before him. So do a bit of imaginative work and in particular don't get, I think, too lost with the allegorical reading of this canto. The commentators will tell you what all the figures mean and they do mean what they mean. They do um, stand for certain presences for sure, but don't lose the sense of the whole in the detail, or at least look at the detail and then return to the whole. This is now appearing before Dante. Everything in his religious and spiritual life that has ever given him meaning, a sense of narrative, whatever has channeled or symbolised divine presence in all its numerous ways is now appearing before him. The canto begins with him still enchanted, almost obsessed by this astonishing lady who has appeared before him, whose life is at one with the life of the forest, whose song just brings to life the love on every breeze. And she now sings, blessed are those whose sins are covered. I think that she's partly referring to the stream that's between them as well the Lethe stream, the stream of oblivion. She's signalling to Dante something of what he's going to have to undergo. But also, while I like to borrow a bit of Blake here and think that she's also singing the Christian version of Blake's remark that if the doors of perception were cleansed, everything would appear to us as it is infinite. 
And that is what is going to start to happen now, that whatever has covered or closed or smeared or dirtied the doors of perception for Dante, what would be called his sins, the things that trap him in a narrow perception that misunderstands, that doesn't get, that makes mistakes, those doors are going to start to open really quite dramatically now. And the lady is signalling that the beginning of an infinite vision is very close by now. It's said that they start to walk by the side of the stream, she on one side, Dante, Virgil and Statius on the other. She is said to move like the nymphs that very deliberately, very carefully move from a patch of sunlight into a patch of shade creates the sense that every single step, the full weight of its meaning and significance, just the slightest move from shade to sunlight can be experienced with a deep intensity. And she herself is said to move with very small steps, um, meditatively you might say, which Dante follows. The stream itself bends, um, he, Dante describes it um, bending sort of perfectly, its banks moving in complete synchronicity. Um, and they're said now to be facing east, again a direction of the sunrise full of significance. And then suddenly, when they haven't taken really more than a hundred steps or so, Dante tells us, she says stop, and she says brother, addressing Dante, look, listen, gather your attention. She's calling him brother. She's inviting him to share in something which you get the sense she may have seen a thousand, a million times before. It's her direct experience of life and she is now going to stand beside him as it opens up before Dante. And the rest of the canto describes in great detail the emergence, as if from out of the thin air, of this tremendous pageant. Um, it begins with incandescent light filling the atmosphere. It's like lightning, Dante says, except that it stays and its luminosity and intensity grows. He, in that moment, curses Eve, um, which feels a bit harsh. Um, remember, he's not drunk from the waters of Lethe yet. He's still feeling the weight of what's trapped him. And even though his will and love are aligned with the divine will and love so that he can begin to see these things, he's still a bit entangled in his past. Um, he's going to learn, actually, that it's not just Eve's presumption that's caused him problems in life, but very much his own presumption. Although I think also the invocation of the name of Eve takes us right back in our imaginations to the beginning of this story of meaning that Dante's life is so immersed in. And you have that sense too, because what happens next is that as the music intensifies, as the light grows, he calls on the ancient muses, and he remembers the, the meaning that tumbled down from the mountains of Helicon that inspired the classical authors. And he calls on Urania as well, the god of the heavens and the celestial heights. Um, he calls on these ancient deities and places and presences to give him the words to describe 
what he is about to see now as a poet. So he's gathering everything that's available to him um, to bring him right to the immediacy of this moment. Um, and that includes what came before the Christian dispensation as well as what has been revealed by the Christian dispensation too. It's a full consciousness that you get the sense from by the remembrance of these ancient names. The vision proper begins when he sees golden trees reaching from the earth upwards into the sky and they're full of light and then he says when he looked a bit more closely and could begin to discern what he was actually seeing of course a capacity that's absolutely crucial can you really understand what you're seeing he realizes that they're not trees actually but they're great candlesticks that are moving towards him and he turns in that moment towards Virgil who stood behind him um, he says that he's bewildered, but he sees amazement reflected in Virgil's face too. So the sense that the three of them are standing in silence now as um, all that starts to appear before them. Um, Dante, by this point, he says, has also come to a stop um, by um, the river side. Um, and what's appearing before him is right in front of him, just on the other side of the riverbank. Um, so it's, it's really close, it's really present. This isn't something that's seen from a distance now. Um, it's unfolding right before his eyes. Figures dressed in supernaturally white garments appear and the light of their clothing reflects from the surface of the stream, creating more of a sense of dazzle and luminosity. And then 24 elders appear and they sing, blessed is she whose beauty excels the delight of all ladies in history, or words to that effect. And, you know, it's very striking. They're singing of the beauty of this dazzling woman. You know, we have a pretty clear sense of who this person might be. But it is striking because they're not singing of the beauty of Christ, for example, which you might expect, even though the figures like, say, the 24 elders who have appeared are allegorically representing the, the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, um, the dispensation before the Christian pivotal point. There's still a sense of real life here. It's not just a kind of clunky formula, um, so much so that at the very heart and centre of this vision, of this pageant, is going to appear someone who can speak directly to Dante. You might say, what's the point of uh, the most tremendous divine vision and experience unless it connects most intimately and directly with your own personal yearnings and longings, the, the intimate experiences of your own life, so that that which is most transcendent, that which is most Christic, is also that which is most imminent, that which has lived directly in your mind and imagination. And that is very much part of what is happening to Dante now, uh, making the bridges directly into his own life. He sees four figures in green now appear, and they have wings that are covered with eyes like a peacock's tail. 
And Dante makes uh, an interesting side reference here because he says to us as readers, if you want to know what he's seeing, then read of Ezekiel's visions in the Hebrew Bible. Though he also says that the vision of John the Divine in the book of Revelation in the New Testament is a bit more accurate in depicting what he actually sees now. So it creates this sense that there's an unfolding of discernment um, that has moved from the Old Testament into the New Testament, but creates also a sense of momentum. You know, is Dante's discernment, is Dante's vision actually going to reveal even more than John the Divine had? You know, what kind of claim is Dante the poet making for what he's about to see here at the end of the purgatory and no doubt through the paradise as well? If this pageant, this procession is moving forward, gathering everything up in its wake, in its streamers, in its rainbows, so too Dante is moving things forward as well. He's not just presenting a kind of static ceremony. He's presenting a living, dynamic unfolding of divine life that's got a future that he feels that he's part of as much as a past that he can rehearse as well. I think he's signalling this is a new revelation. It's moving into a new dispensation. This is why he can see what a Christian living in the high medieval period might expect to see, but also surprising and new things besides. The four figures create a space, and in that space appears a two-wheeled chariot. He says it's more splendid than any Roman emperor knew, it's more splendid than the sun god who rode across the sky knew as well. And it's pulled by a griffin, a mythological beast with an eagle's head and a lion's body. Um, the, again, that they're all symbolic, and these different parts, you know, the bird's eagle's head is the divine aspect um, that can look right into the heavens and fly up into the sky. Um, the lion's body is that which is firmly but magnificently rooted to the earth. Um, it's said that the griffin's wings go up directly, um, beautifully set against all the other um, elements of the pageant that Dante has seen. Um, and they reach so high into the heavens that he can't see their tips. He then sees that beside one wheel of the chariot are three ladies. Um, they look red and white and green and they're dancing and they have a complex interchange, although it seems that the lady in red leads the dance of the other two. Um, you know, these are the figures of faith, hope and love, love leading them, red love leading them, um, green hope and white faith. Um, but they're, they're personages, they're living intelligences, um, not just, as it were, symbols, um, but the dynamic aspects of this side of life which we too can feel flowing in us and shaping us and leading us as these ladies dance. Then on the other side of the chariot by the other wheel are four ladies dressed in purple and these stand for the cardinal virtues but again they're in a dance. These are the capacities to have wisdom, to know how to act, to know how to move in harmony, to know how to move bravely through life that can shape 
our lives. And then behind the splendid chariot, he sees another series of 24 figures. And they're variously described. One carries a sword, one has the bearing of a doctor. Um, these are the figures who wrote parts of the New Testament. And it ends with the figure of John the Divine, who he can see from this figure's eyes, can stare into aspects of reality that otherwise remain hidden. He's in a kind of trance state. So this huge procession has formed before him. Remember where we started, um, the enchanted forest and then these golden trees which turned out to be candlesticks appearing, um, figures dancing and leading, the appearance of the carriage itself led by this tremendous two-natured griffin and then led behind with these final figures. Um, everything, you might say, in the deep story of his cultural life, everything that he ever thought could speak and channel and communicate the divine to him, is now represented before him. And then suddenly there's a tremendous clap of thunder, and all these figures, all these creatures, all this ceremony stops right in front of Dante. It's there for him. And the canto ends with this huge cliffhanger, making you wonder what on earth is going to show itself for Dante next.